hello and welcome to the Informed Traveler podcast, a travel podcast where our goal is to help you become a more informed traveler. And I'm your host, Randy Sharman. Hey, in a little bit, we're going to head to Montana and visit the Flathead Lake Lodge, who's celebrating 75 years this year, which is a pretty big milestone. So we'll see what they offer and what they're doing right to last 75 years in the travel industry. And then later on, we're going to talk with the folks from Island Expeditions. They specialize in trips to Belize, a very popular destination these days. But to start things out, we're going to get some advice from a lawyer about whether or not U.S. border guards have the right to search your electronic devices without cause. Now, a recent ruling in Massachusetts says no, but there is a bit of confusion about it, so we're going to try and get some answers. To help us out is Tim Law. He's a partner with Heifetz, Crozier, and Law. And Tim joins us now. So let's, uh, let's do some background first before we dive into uh, what this really means in practical terms as far as uh, crossing the uh, U.S. border. Uh, there's a, a court ruling in Massachusetts uh, that uh, ruled on basically uh, what the border security people can do in the U.S. when it comes to personal electronic devices. Uh, I'll let you uh, take it from there and expand on that uh, ruling a little bit. Uh, Fair enough. Yes, it was a ruling that came out late last year uh, from the Massachusetts uh, Circuit Court, as they call it, and it dealt with problems that many, many people were having when they crossed the U.S. border. In other words, when they were going in through basically airports um, and with their electronic devices. And this was a case that was started sometime before the end of last year, because typically legal cases don't start on the hour and with three commercial (laughs) breaks finish 60 minutes later. Um, But the concerns raised were that the people, and and there's two groups uh, in the U.S., they're the officers with the United States Customs and Border Control and the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, as they're sometimes referred to as, Mm Uh, They were both deciding uh, in the individual uh, officer's wisdom that they could uh, look at and more deeply search what was on mobile devices. And by that, of course, we mean uh, telephones and tablets. And the concern that was raised, two types of concern, I guess you would say, firstly, that this was happening incredibly frequently. Uh, thousands of times more in 2018, for example, uh, than had happened just three years before in 2015. And secondly, that these devices were being accessed and significant amounts of information were being viewed on them. There was one person who was one of the plaintiffs in the case who was a lawyer, uh, a lawyer out of Boston, But I don't want anybody to misunderstand. This wasn't just about lawyers' mobile devices. This was about anybody's mobile devices Mm -hmm. and what could or couldn't happen. So now I've read that this ruling only applies to the state of Massachusetts. What is your opinion on that? Well, it it certainly does. And I have to be very careful here or my cousin lawyers in the U.S. will say I'm practicing law in the States. And I'm definitely not doing that because I'm not qualified to do it. Um, But it's similar in the U.S. as it is in Canada. If a court of appeal uh, decision comes out of PEI, then the courts in Ontario or British Columbia are not bound by that decision. Similar with this case, it's a case out of Massachusetts. Uh, It doesn't therefore technically 
bind uh, anybody in other parts of the country. Having said that, as a friend of mine who practices in New York State said to me, um, if it is a well-reasoned decision, and it is, I would say, it goes on at length to explain the problems and what can and can't be done by these folks who are officers, mm -hmm. uh, then it may well be heeded by people in other uh, jurisdictions, and most importantly, heeded by the officers or their bosses that are telling them what they can and can't do. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're going into another part of the U.S., I'm sure that this decision has been brought to the attention of all of the customs uh, enforcement people and the ICE people, and I would imagine they are being more mindful of when it is they decide uh, they can carry out a search. So in practical pur uh, purposes, uh, it's one thing to have a court decision on your side, but really it comes down to the, uh, the demeanor or the choice of that particular uh, border guard at that particular time, whether or not they're going to do this, right? It absolutely does, and that is the same uh, as I always advise people when traveling with respect to your ability to enter the United States. Uh, you have no right, unless you are an American citizen, uh, to enter the United States. You can get to their border. If you're lucky, you're a Canadian and you're in your hometown, and you can be told you can't come in. Mm -hmm. uh, they have the ability to stop you. Similarly, each of those individuals will have the ability to decide whether or not they are going to search. Uh, and what this judge said was, it isn't enough to have some kind of concern that this person may have some information on their phone. There has to be a real suspicion that something this person has on this phone is cause for concern. Mm -hmm. And that's what this judge took great pains uh, to explain because what seemed to be happening was well, there's a phone, there's a device, uh, there's some concern, but not specific concern, and therefore we're going to have a look at it. So at the end of the day, the big takeaway is the law is kind of on your side, but <laughs> there's no sense getting into a big argument uh, trying to get into the, the U.S. because you're going to lose. I, I think that nine times out of ten, you will, because if someone says they want to search your device, your phone, your, your tablet, uh, they're going to search it. And I would suggest to you on more of a human than a legal level to the extent that you simply say, well, certainly I'll open it for you, but please don't go wandering through all the photographs that mm. I've taken of myself and my friends. Um, if you refuse to let someone do something, I think human nature kicks in and they presume incorrectly most times that you've got something to hide. And the people at the border, like you and me, are no more or less human, uh, and we'll have some suspicion if that's the way people are behaving, I think. Some great advice. Tim Law is a partner with Heifetz Crozier Law. Uh, thanks for your insight, Tim. My pleasure, Randy. Mm -hmm.
Well, if you're looking for a family vacation of a different sort, how about an all-inclusive guest ranch experience right on the shores of a beautiful lake in Big Fork, Montana? That's what the Flathead Lake Lodge offers, and they've been doing it for 75 years now, so they must be doing something right. To tell us more about it is Chase Averill. He is the general manager of the Flathead Lake Lodge. The website is flatheadlakelodge.com. Hi, Chase. How's it going? Thanks for having me. Well, uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, first off, congratulations on 75 years. Not a lot of places can say that. So take me back to that first day. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, off-air that you're third generation. Uh, you probably weren't around then, but I'm sure you've heard the stories of when the uh, lodge opened, right? Yeah, I definitely wasn't around then, but the ranch was started um, in 1945 by my grandfather, who came back from World War II. He was a... Uh, a shuttle pilot so he would fly the bombers back and forth across the Atlantic and and all over and um and he so he was actually um born in Tabor Alberta kind of ironic but um they were horse and beet farmers up in that neck of the woods and then with the the kind of dust bowl in the early 1900s they ended up wandering down to the summers area on the lake where they were cutting all the railroad ties and um and so he grew up seeing this this log lodge being built on the lakeshore um, that sat vacant during the Great Depression. And he came back from World War II, had the wild idea to start a start a guest ranch, and um, found a partner to purchase the purchase the place with and and kick it off. So. And here you are 75 years later. I'm, I'm sure a lot has changed. I'm sure technology is a lot different now for your guests uh, than it was back then as well, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's part of the beauty of the place is, is we've really held on to the fact that not a lot has changed. So, you know, the, the historic lodges were built in the 30s. Um, a lot of the cabins were built in the 40s. Um, and it really has that, old school feel to the place kind of a step back in time um you know yeah we have fiber running through the property it's all connected and and um you know we're we're high tech nowadays um you know our our staff communicates on slack like a lot of major corporations and um but when you're here it it's very personal it's very interactive it's very genuine you know there's there's 120 people at a time but you know we we want it to feel like you're kind of going to grandma's house, like you're staying at our house. <laughs> nice. And uh, so it's very old school. Nice. So now where are you located and what's the best way of getting there, I guess? Yeah, so we are right on the, the northeast shore of Flathead Lake in the northwest corner of Montana. So about 35 miles from Glacier Park. Um, you know, flying-wise, Kalispell is... Um, is a great little airport that has lots of direct flights about 30 miles away. Um, and then, if, you know, from uh, just north of here, you know, there's, it's, uh, it's about two hours to the border um, from, from where we sit. So, mm-hmm. uh, well, but we're right on the lake, which is cool. So, you know, we, we joke a lot. We're, uh, we're definitely a ranch on a lake. We're not a resort with horses. So um, we like to play at the lake as much as possible <laughs> and that's and with that I'm, I'm sure that expands many of the activities that you can do that a lot of other uh, ranches can't do simply because of the fact you're right on a lakefront right yeah we're pretty spoiled so and flooded lakes a beautiful you know big huge lake so um 
we have a bad, you know, bad affinity for wood boats that, uh, I guess keep us busy in the winter. So we have lots of, uh, old wood boats around. We have, um, two really cool sailboats that are from 1928 and 29. Um, they're America's cup prototypes that we've restored. And, um, so it's really fun to get out on those boats. They're 51 feet long and, and sail the lake and, um, couple you know Chris Craft cruisers and then all the wakeboarding and wake surfing and uh, you know all that sort of stuff so it's it's a great way you know to kill the afternoon when you're uh, ready for a little break from the horse mm-hmm. so tell me about the cabins how many you have and uh, what uh, your guests can expect yeah so there's there's 48 um, different accommodations no two are the same here um, and everything was built in the 40s and 50s, so it's got that that old old world kind of quirk and charm to it. Um, you know, it's and the beauty of the the cabins here is, I think, is unintentional. It's um, they're rustic. They're I wouldn't say they're luxury, but they're they're very nice. You know, we I don't think we're sophisticated enough to be luxury, but we're we're right there. Um, and uh, and the nice part about them is they're, they're really small, you know, small, they're not like homes on the lake, they're mm. cabins. So, uh, so what, what happens here is, is it kind of forces people out of their accommodations and, and people, you know, gravitate to these communal spots. And so you, you end up at the pool with the other guests or you end up at the barn or you end up in the main lodge and there's these kind of, or the bar more often than not, you know, there's these, <laughs> These different um, kind of gathering points. And what's really cool is, you know, when guests are here for a week at a time, there's all these communal gathering spots where they get to know each other, their kids get to know each other, and, and these kind of relationships and friendships form over over the course of a week together. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, wasn't the intention, I don't think, when they built all the cabins in the 40s. I think places were just smaller back then, but... Um, you know, now that's the beauty of the place is it, it kind of forces this great social interaction. Uh, your website describes the experience as an all-inclusive Montana ranch vacation. So tell me what you get for an all-inclusive vacation. Uh, a lot, enough to tire your kids out. Sure. <laughs> that's the whole, uh, that's the point, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically everything's included here. So it's all your meals, all the food, all the... Um, all the recreation, all the lodging, um, and and the recreation side of it's huge. So we have all the lake stuff, you know, the sailing, the boating, the um, the wake surfing, all that side of things, all the horse side of things. Um, we do a, a bunch with uh, uh, mountain biking and sporting clays and um, UTV and, and off-road tours. And um, so there's there's a whole children's program. There's a teens program. There's, uh, you know, each day is kind of planned out from 7 a.m. to about nine o'clock at night. And, and you kind of choose your own adventure. You, you pick as much or as little as you'd like to do. And, um, and all of that's included. The only stuff that's not is, is outside outfitter stuff. So mm-hmm. um, things we're not licensed to do whitewater rafting and, and stuff like that, where we, we partner with, other local companies. So how experienced do I have to be, say, to, I don't know, go horseback riding? Would you teach me? Would you teach me how to go kayaking, that type of thing? Yep. Yeah, we have a great staff. I mean, our staff is 
is part of what makes the place special. You know, they really adopt this place like their home. Um, and, and it's a lot of learning, you know, our whole, our whole mission is to forge relationships through authentic experiences. So, you know, we, we do a ton of education, whether it's, um, on the horse side through, um, you know, lessons, we want you to leave here at the end of the week, feeling really comfortable and whatever the activity it is, um, you know, whether it's sailing, horseback riding, mountain biking, it's a very, very informal place you know we don't take ourselves very seriously so um you know we want we want you as a novice to feel really comfortable in that environment and, mm-hmm. and when you leave it in when you leave at the end of the week feel feel a lot better about it and it is a week stay it's weekly blocks uh, i can't just stay for a couple of days or how does that work yeah so in in the summer we do um it's all sunday to sunday weekly stays um and then in the in the spring and the fall, we do a lot of different stuff with corporate groups, with events. Um, we do adult only packages. So like this fall, we'll have um, we'll have three or four different adult only packages that are three four night stays. Um, one's geared around unplugging, where where we shut down the Wi-Fi. We you know really kind of take it old school. Um, Another one this spring is a mountain bike retreat. So we've built um, about 10 miles now. We have another four that we're going to be building this spring of really cool mountain bike-specific flow trail and downhill trail. So um, we're we're hosting a mountain bike clinic this spring. Um, And those are all – so the spring and fall stuff is all, you know, three, Mm -hmm. four-night stays. And then once we get into the middle of summer, it's it's that seven-night – all-inclusive, um, week-long adventure. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, Flathead, Flathead Lake Lodge is the place, and Chase Averill is the general manager of the Flathead Lake Lodge. You can find all the information on their website, flatheadlakelodge.com. Thanks for the insight, Chase. It was uh, fun chatting. Yeah, thanks, Randy. Appreciate it. Well, Belize is a very popular destination for many people, and one company that specializes in tours to Belize is Island Expedition. It's one place I've yet to visit, so I'm excited to learn more, and joining us to do that is Life's Vera. He is the Director of Operations for Island Expeditions. Their website is islandexpeditions.com. Hi, Life. Hi there, Randy. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Uh, Tell me a little bit uh, about Island Expeditions, how long it's been operating, and a bit of a, a history lesson here. Great. Uh, well, we are a uh, Canadian and Belizean company that operates tours, uh, outdoor adventure travel uh, packages uh, down in Belize, Central America. Um, you're speaking to me in our sales and administration office uh, based in Pemberton, B.C. Um, and this is sort of our um, call center, our place where we do sales marketing and uh, communicate with our guests in advance. And then we also do have an operations base down in the central part of Belize, a small town called Dangriga. Um, We've been operating down in Belize uh, since 1987. And um, every winter we, um, yeah, operate... uh, portfolio of some great experiences down there. A um, lot of it focused on the sea with uh, using sea kayaks mm-hmm. uh, to explore the um, 
second largest barrier reef in the world, uh, which Belize is in Belize, and um, the focus really on outdoor activities, getting in the water, snorkeling, um, and um, yeah, a range of different experiences. We also go inland and do a bunch of other things too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, Belize is your specialty. Uh, mm-hmm. Why Belize? <laughs> Well, many years ago, in 1987, um, one of my partners, uh, Tim, he started the business, and he was a paddler. He was—he's originally from Ontario, and uh, moved out to BC. Um, during the summer months, he was a tree planter as a young man, and um, often had the winters off and a bank account full at the end of the summer. So, um, they just did a personal trip down to Belize. Um, First, learning about it, they went to the UBC library, pulled, you know, marine charts and maps and things, because back in those days, it wasn't easily accessible in your pocket, like today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they did a, a basically a road trip, and they went down there with all their boats, and they um, landed in Belize, and they actually, the first place they stopped was this little town of Dangriga, where we're still based, our company is still based. Uh, they met a bunch of people there, um, some local fishermen, and uh, they sort of convinced them to go go along for the ride. They went out and they paddled the barrier reef, and um, I think after three weeks or so, they came back with just have blown away by the experience and and really thought, you know what, you know, people would really love to experience this type of activity and this way of life and. Uh, so they went back and uh, they started marketing nice. and basically, um, you know, started off pretty small, but then just snowballed. And, you know, here we are over 30 years later. Um, and uh, the main reason why they chose Belize because uh, of the Mesoamerican reef system, um, Belize is blessed with this huge barrier reef that basically extends the entire country. Country, it's even further. It goes up into the Mexico, uh, up into the Yucatan, mm-hmm. um, and not only does it have the Barrier Reef, but it also has three out of four coral atolls. And atolls is not a real um, commonly known term, but it's more famous in the South Pacific. They're circular reef structures. Um, and uh, these are outside of the barrier reef, which is really like a breakwater that runs north to south. And these ones sit outside of it. They're sort of independent of it. And um, this sort of just fascinated them, and they decided, you know, we've got to go and explore this. There's lots of islands on the inside of the barrier reef. It's ideal for paddling. Um, and, uh, yeah, they went down, had such a great time. They figured that this is a place that other people have to explore. Mm-hmm. So if I am planning a trip to Belize for the first time, because I've never been there, uh, yeah. so what are some of the things I should be looking for or maybe some inside tips? For sure. Well, uh, definitely uh, most people that want to go to Belize, they want to get into the water. The turquoise, Caribbean sea, palm trees, you won't, you've got to get out on the reef on the islands. Um, there's uh, probably the most popular place is San Pedro um, on Ambergris Key uh, and Key Cocker, uh, which are some of the larger islands up in the north. Um, that's where probably 90% of the tourists that arrive into Belize, they end up going. Um, we tend to try and get people outside of those areas. So um, if you look at island expeditions, 
trips and experiences, we tend to get into more remote areas and places that you really kind of can't get to on your own unless you went and hired a boat and mm-hmm. did your own thing sort of thing. Um, however, just to give any, you know, any of your listeners some tips, um, you know, Tobacco Key is a lovely, um, there's some small little resorts along, uh, on the, right on the barrier reef. You can snorkel right off its shores, uh, which is, um, somewhat rare in Belize, uh, surprisingly, but, uh, I mean, there's a great snorkeling all over the place, but uh, there's very few islands that have that sort of fringing reef where you can really just sort of slip into the water with the snorkel mask fins. Uh, Southwater Key is also a beautiful location. Um, You know, those are areas that are sort of more in the southern part of Belize. Um, And definitely, if there is any way possible, and, you know, usually cost is a factor, but getting out into one of the the offshore atolls is um, either Glover's Reef, Lighthouse Reef, or Turniff. One of those places. Um, that's where you really get to see the sort of the the most spectacular um, underwater coral reef cities and um, fish and all that kind of stuff. So are these uh, guided trips that you offer? Like there's uh, different ones on your website. It's islandexpeditions.com. There's a seven-day, six-night lighthouse reef adventure. There's the different reef adventures. So are these guided or how do they work? Right. So those ones, those particular programs are our our guided experiences. We um, basically, it's an all-inclusive package uh, that includes all your meals, accommodations, transfers, guides, and everything once you've arrived into, into Belize. Um, and so we'll organize the boat to get you out there. There'll be a full team out there to cook your meals, do the dishes, and you're really just there to participate in the activities. There's a team of guides that will have several activities planned each and every day. You can pick and choose what you'd like to do or, of course, hang back. And um, One of our favorite uh, hammock surfing is also uh, encouraged. Um, But there's a lot of uh, really great activities and always encourage people to get out and um, go with the guides and Mm -hmm. and, uh, see what you can see out there. And there's plenty of trips to choose from. What are some of the ones that sell out the uh, quickest? Uh, I notice you have one epic Belize. It's 10 days. I imagine you get a pretty good overview of the the whole country there. Right, yeah. So that's probably one of our our more popular trips just because it kind of gives you a real great overview there's you go down into the uh, Toledo district in the far south into the Mayan villages we get to go in uh, with some of our guides into their homes and we have a meal with a local family and then we go into the jungle and we do a two-night river descent Um, and uh, then we uh, from there head out to um, a small village uh, called uh, Big Falls, where we do uh, several Mayan ruins. We go to a spice farm, um, and then we head out to Glover's Reef and uh, do sea kayaking, snorkeling, and all that kind of stuff. It's a wonderful uh, one. That's definitely one that I would recommend. Uh, the Lighthouse Reef Adventure, we do a six-night or an eight-night version, is also a favorite Um uh, as well as the Glover's Reef and Mine Caves mm-hmm. um, programs are probably our, our core programs. Um, and then I'll just throw one more that's our, our Paradise Islands, which is uh, our lodge-to-lodge uh, sea kayaking adventure along the barrier, Central Barrier Reef. And how big are the, the groups that you take? 
Well, the base camps, we take up to 20, 22 people um, on the moving trips, like our epic, we call moving, where we go from A to B to C to D. Um, Those, we take a maximum of 12. Awesome. Again, that website is islandexpeditions.com. Lots of info on there. And Life's Vera is the uh, director of Island Expeditions. Uh, Thanks for your insight, Life. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Randy. Really appreciate your call. And that is this week's Informed Traveler podcast. I want to thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, take a minute, rate the show, leave us a review, and tell a friend about the podcast. And if you want to drop me a line, my email address is randy at theinformedtraveler.ca. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash informedtraveler, or you can follow me on Twitter at informedtraveler.com.